You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. jam-packed edition of the show this week it's the show before the show podcast from milb.com welcome in episode number 206 i'm tyler mon sam dexter's in new york city hi sam hi tyler how are you uh, i am fine man how are you i'm good i'm good good uh we've got all kinds of stuff to get to today we have uh, a fully loaded three strikes we have a foul ball of news coming up for you in a little bit uh thanks for tuning in wherever you find us you can get us at uh, milb.com slash podcast we're on apple Podcasts and google play and everywhere else uh you download your podcast i saw a tweet the other day that was like i love when people say on a podcast like find it wherever you get your podcast because that's just like an appeal to parents who have no idea where to do anything on a computer <laughs> pretty true um so you can find us there and uh, we'll get started on three strikes for this week's episode. Strike number one. We talked last week about an insane game uh, that happened the week prior in the International League that featured 15 homers and 43 combined hits and it finished 20 to 18 and it was insane and thought like, oh man, that that should be a runaway winner for game of the year. And then came Will Benson and uh, the uh, 25th ranked prospect in the Cleveland system on the 18th of April, so basically right after our last episode, belted four home runs in a game. Uh, he only had 44 homers in his career going into that night. And uh, yeah, pretty pretty solid night. Uh, four homers, including a grand slam, uh, as Lake County, the Class A full-season affiliate in the Cleveland system, beat South Bend 12-6. to It's the first four-homer game in the minor league since 2014. He had eight runs batted in that night. Uh, Will Benson, it's kind of weird because just a couple days before that, I was thinking like, oh man, Will Benson never has made that big jump. He was in Lake County last year. He only hit 180 over the course of 123 games. Uh, 694 OPS. He was pretty good the year before, at least in terms of the OPS for Mahoning Valley, but the average has never really been there. It's kind of starting to think about Will Benson. Then all of a sudden he blows up and it's four homers. Um, Sam, this was a crazy night. Just this was crazy. a crazy night. And it, it's kind of a, like you mentioned, Tyler, a crazy night for somebody who needed a crazy night. But, uh, you know, four homers in a game is just absolutely nuts. We had uh, people tweeting at us saying, uh, you guys recorded too early last week. <laughs> um, which I don't think anybody has really ever said to us before. But, yeah, the fact that we, we call out that game, that Rochester-Lehigh Valley game 2018, and then mere hours later uh, somebody hits four homers was absolutely nuts. But um, Will Benson, we actually had him on the podcast years ago. Uh, he was the guest for number 63, and that was when he was just about to be a first-round pick with the with the Cleveland Indians. Uh, he got invited here to New York for the draft. Um, I interviewed him at the luncheon, thought he was fascinating because, you know, big athletic guy. He got recruited to Duke uh, to potentially play two ways, to play baseball and basketball. Um, sounded like it was going to be mostly baseball, um, but then Coach K would allow him to get a couple minutes, uh, which, you know, if if Coach K said, yeah, I think we can find a spot for you on the roster, that probably says something. The Indians swoop in, take him at number 14, and it was always going to be kind of a lottery ticket situation. The guy's six foot five, weighing 225 pounds. If everything clicks, 
he could be a really exciting outfielder. Um, but it, it was always going to be a process with him. And, you know, as you mentioned, it has been a process these first couple of years. You never want to see your first round pick three years later be the number 25 prospect in the system. You want to see them continually grow. And he's kind of struggled to do that. He can have good power. Obviously, four homers in a game doesn't happen by accident. He can be a good runner. He has a really good arm. Uh, it just it all comes down to that hit tool. Uh, last year in his first go through class a Midwest league, he struck out in 30% of his plate appearances. Uh, that's what helps drive down the 180 average, but he had a lot of bad luck as well. He had a 218 batting average against balls in play. Uh, now things have kind of turned around completely, uh, in terms of the luck game. This isn't going to be necessarily something he can carry forward. He's hitting 340 uh, through his th- first 14 games of the year this year. But he's hitting 524 on balls in play, which is not something that he can carry forward whatsoever. He's continuing to battle with strikeout issues. He struck out 39.7% of the time here in the first couple of weeks with the Lake County captains. Um, but the fact that the power is showing up more is really interesting and cool. He's got six homers total between 14 games. All Obviously, four of them came in one game. Uh, one thing I want to note if, unfortunately, it wasn't a mill TV game, I don't think. But yeah, which was a bummer. Um, some people had some footage in the, you know, because of course when a guy's going for a three homer, four homer game, everybody's got their phones out. His bat flip on one of those was tremendous, and this is a pro bat flip podcast. That's right. It is. We are on the record. Yes. Consistently. Yes. Um, so it just if you want to see a guy enjoy the game, I think Suspedis Family Barbecue. Uh, tweeted that out one of the videos they found uh, just a guy enjoying a, a career performance like you said a, a performance we see every couple of years not you know every year with the amount of minor league games we see we see we kind of become immune to three homer games sometimes to no hitter uh, stuff like that but a four homer game still makes us all drop what we're doing and and pay attention and, and focus in on something um, so that was really interesting from him the the most interesting thing of his start to the season the most positive development i can kind of see out of him is that he's starting to pull the ball more uh and sometimes that can lead to a little bit more power for somebody especially with with his frame uh he pulled the ball 51 and a half percent of the time last year that's up to 59.3 and i think that's going to allow him to tap into that power that might mean he's going to continue to strike out more as he's going to try to play more into that power but uh, Will Benson has always been an exciting prospect, and I mean that in the absolute sense of the term, prospect. We don't know what he's going to be. Uh, you never want to see anybody repeat a level, uh, but especially Class A, if you're struggling down there and you you can't break out of it, um, that's how you get caught up in the churn. Uh, but, you know, he's only uh, 20 years old. Uh, he'll turn 21 in June. Um, you know, he would basically be, what, a high school or a, a college junior right now. Um, so he's already ahead of some of the guys who are going to be in the draft this year um, with that minor league experience. We'll, we'll have to see where he can go from this. His numbers are going to get wobbly as that BABIP evens out along the way. And he's going to have to figure out better ways to make contact um, than being, you know, flirting with the 40 percent K rate. 
but hey, we're all talking about Will Benson now in ways that we weren't just a couple of weeks ago. And that's A, the beauty of the season and, and getting things that excite you and B, allowing prospects to grow and, and allowing them to surprise us and remind ourselves that not everything is set in stone after you know we spend so many weeks in the offseason studying what these guys can be. Now it's the time for them to surprise us and do things that none of us saw coming. Pretty cool stuff, and a big congratulations to Will Benson for his big night. You can read that story, by the way, up on the site. Our buddy Andrew Batiferano wrote that one, and uh, you can find that on Will Benson's player page. Uh, it's probably the easiest place to track it down. It is from the uh, the 18th of April. Uh, strike two this week, Sam. Speaking of homers, there is a trend building uh, at the highest level of the minor leagues in AAA. The AAA leagues... Pacific Coast League and the International League adopted a new baseball this year from the standard minor league balls that they've used forever uh, to the ball that is used in the major leagues. And with that switch, we are seeing a massive explosion uh, in the power numbers at AAA. I think the number right now is hovering somewhere around 135% of uh, what was a homer rate last year. Uh, Now this year it's 135% of that. Um, This is crazy to see. And it's weird because it's happening in places where ordinarily we would not see this stuff i mean we talked about that game last week that was a 20 to 18 game in rochester so we're seeing this across the board at AAA. yeah and uh you actually heard us talk about this last week a little bit with zach brown in the brewer system uh zach brown moving to AAA for the first time uh there's a lot to go through with that transition but we asked him you know you're transitioning to a new ball the baseball this year for the first time AAA is using the exact same composition of the ball of the major leagues uh a lot of what we're seeing right now in the major leagues in terms of a power spike there's a lot of talk about approach changing and all that kind of stuff but a good part of it is driven by just changes in the composition of the baseball and the fact that that's now carrying down to AAA and we're seeing some yeah, it, it's only been three weeks at this point, but it's some good hard facts to kind of back it up that, uh, you know, the power that we're seeing in the majors is carrying itself to AAA. Uh, looking back at 2018, uh, comparing the numbers here that I wrote down as of Tuesday when we're recording this, in 2018, the International League runs per game was 4.2. Through the first three weeks of the 2019 season, it's up to 5.1. Uh, in the PCL, known as a, as a hitter's league, the runs per game were five. In 2019, that's up to 5.6. Runs per game can get a little iffy. I'll, I'll grant that. You know, sometimes games go into extra innings. There's some times to get uh, play with those numbers a little bit. But in terms of home runs per nine, and this is a complete rate stat. Um, this is not dependent on games played. This is just on innings multiplied by nine. Give us an idea. In 2018, IL hitters were hitting 0.8 home runs per nine innings. That is up to 1.2. That's an increase of 50% through the first three weeks. And this is not a time of the year. Traditionally, we think of April as kind of being dominated by pitchers uh, because pitching, A, they're usually warmed up a little bit more, but also – um, you know, batters take a while to kind of to literally warm up. I mean, it uh, usually a lot of what we write in April is just six two hit innings from here, six two innings from there, yeah. whatever. Uh, usually, April is a time for pitchers to dominate. They are not doing that in AAA right now. Uh, just to go through PCL because I don't think I threw those numbers out there. The home runs per nine innings in 2018 was 1.0. In 2019, that's up to 1.4. Again, 40 percent increase there. Uh, it's just nuts to see the the ball take off now does that mean anything no i don't think it it's hurting the game i don't think it, it's doing anything from that standpoint 
I all honestly think it's allowing us to more honestly evaluate um, some of these hitters because we've seen in the past somebody like Ozzy Albies kind of take off in the power department once they reach the major leagues and, and are able to play in that environment more. So now if there's somebody who's kind of taking off at AAA, Kesson here is a little bit of that. I know people have thought he's going to be an above average hitter when he makes the major leagues, but he wasn't power guy much last year. He's showing that a little bit more now with AAA San Antonio. Um, it, it's a little bit more honest now. We, we can't say like, oh, what are they going to be like when they're playing with the major league ball? We're going to know because we see it already. Um, obviously, places like Albuquerque, uh, El Paso, some of these places are more hitter friendly than your average major league park. But, um, you know, it, it's still neat to see we don't have this excuse anymore of, uh, you know, what is it going to be like when they make it there? Cause we are, we basically already know that. And just a couple other numbers to throw out there. These, we are still clearly in small sample territory, but the PCL right now is absolutely nuts for pitchers. Uh, so if there is a pitcher that, you know, that is doing well in the PCL, Griffin Cannon kind of comes to mind for Salt Lake, uh, give them extra kudos because it has been really tough right now. Tacoma as a staff, has an 8.13 ERA as a staff. That, that is, is nuts. nuts. Especially being in a place that's not super offensively friendly either. Right. Well, they've played a lot of their games, I think, in Albuquerque and right. Paso so far, so that kind of hurts that, and I get that. Um, but 8.13 is absolutely insane. Only one team has a team ERA below four. That's San Antonio at 3.94. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's just crazy. There are... Let me count here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine teams with ERAs above five, uh, which is crazy. So, yeah, we're going to have to keep an eye on this and, and what have you. But, um, you know, it's something to kind of take a grain of salt with pitchers. It, hey, if they're getting shellacked, might not be entirely their fault. They're getting used to a new system. If they're doing really well, hey, give them extra credit for that because they're doing so in, in di more difficult environments than AAA pitchers maybe ever have. Um, so just something to keep in mind. Uh, Baseball America, I think I mentioned this on the podcast last week, uh, J.J. Cooper wrote a story on this that kind of illuminated to it. I, I was going to wait a little bit longer, but um, it, it's kind of drawn everybody's attention, and it's definitely something we're going to have to keep an eye on uh, as we get deeper into the season. Strike three this week, a couple of promotions for top prospects around the minor leagues. Michael Chavis of the Boston Red Sox organization. Cole Tucker already making waves with his dreamy hair and uh, being able to, like, wink at teammates after diving <laughs> into second base safely. Um, those two guys up at the big league level, uh, what do you expect? What have you liked from them so far? Yeah, Chavis uh, it was an interesting call-up because uh, the Red Sox have tried to see where they can find a place for him. Um, obviously coming off a, a World Series title and a lot of that team from last year is still in place. Uh, so, you know, he's not going to knock Xander Bogarts out, off shortstop, uh, which was where he was drafted. And he, he's been moved off shortstop for years now. Rafael Devers is actually, I think, younger than Michael Chavis uh, and has been in the majors for a while now. I know he hasn't been exactly the, the phenom everybody thought he would be, but, um, you know, Chavis isn't quite enough there to knock Devers off third. So Chavis has played a little bit of first base uh, in the early going this year with Triple A Pawtucket. Most interestingly, they've given him some time at second base. I think he had five starts there before getting the call this week. Um, but the Red Sox second base 
situation right now is kind of a wreck. Dustin Pedroia is on the IL. Eduardo Nunez uh, just got put on the IL. Brock Holt was rehabbing with Pawtucket, and that seems to be put on hold. So right now they're playing Zue Lin at second base, which, you know, if anybody knows the Red Sox system from a couple years ago, he's always been considered a really gifted fielder. Um, but his hitting has always been kind of suspect. Chavis is the other way around. Uh, everybody believes in the bat, and he showed that off to begin the year. He hit four homers in his first 12 games with the Tucket, including one. Uh, last week we talked about Vlad Jr. hitting one clear out of the stadium in Pawtucket. Chavis did almost the exact same thing in the same game. Um, so the power has always been there for him, and he actually showed it. He doubled to straightaway center in his first major league at bat. Uh, I think it was 109 miles an hour off the bat. And it was hit so hard that it confused Kevin Kiermeyer, who is an exceptional center fielder. Uh, he got twisted in all sorts of ways. So Javis already showing off that bat a little bit in the major leagues during his small taste. Uh, the Sox have said that they don't think Chavis is ready to be a major league second baseman and they want him to continue getting work there before they shove him out there. But I think that the time is going to come where, listen, he's their top overall prospect. He's destroying triple A pitching. Uh, he destroyed double A pitching last year when he came back from a PED suspension that kept him out for 80 games. Uh, he needs a spot in the lineup and second base just makes too much sense. And, you know, the, the Red Sox have been kind of flailing to begin the year let him learn on the job. Uh, you know, they at one point allowed Christian Vazquez to start at second base this year. If they're going to allow that to happen, why not let Michael Chavis, who at least has played on the dirt somewhat, uh, let him get his sea legs under him there while allowing his bat to play in a major league lineup. Uh, we'll see what happens when Nunez gets healthy, if Brock Holt comes back, if Pedroia's knee ever you know, recovers enough for him to get it regular at bats again. Uh, there could be a log jam there, but it's just clearly not there. And the Sox need as much help as they can get to kind of dig themselves out of this early hole. And Chavis is an obvious one uh, to provide that help. One quick note on Cole Tucker. He's not a top 100 prospect like Chavis is, uh, but it was really cool to see him come up at the same time as Brian Reynolds uh, both come up and then both hit that homer. And I just want to talk about that kind of as a moment. Did you were you able to see that, Tyler? Uh No. Cole Tucker's home run. Uh, I saw the I saw the uh, the slide. I saw that. I did not get to see the homer, which I was kind of bummed about. The homer was just really neat because Cole Tucker. We kind of talk about this with, with bat flips now, but Cole Tucker is one of those guys who just exudes loving baseball. Yeah. Um, in every part of him, whether it's that slide, like you mentioned, he he came in and it seemed like before he was even done, he was already smiling and winking at the the home <laughs> dugout. Uh, yeah, and everything he does, everybody who's been around him, I think he won the, he won an award in the AFL a couple of years ago for just like being the best overall. What was that award? The Durnell Stenson Award, I think it was. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, for just being the best teammate, best sportsman, and that kind of thing. And anybody who's been around him loves cheering for the guy. Both of his parents were there. His mom should be in the booth. By the way, she she was talking about. Uh, what kind of counts he was getting in and how it was a two strike count and how they were just hoping he was going to make contact. And he did more than that by homering for his first hit. Um, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that just makes you stop and remember how cool this game is and how far guys have to work. And his dad talked about, you know, we were here uh, after he signed, you know, as a, as a top pick back in 2014, he was a 24th overall pick. So he gets picked out of Arizona high school, goes to P Pittsburgh, get, gets that sort of treatment. And to be back here 
five years later after working through numerous injuries, uh, but being an especially gifted fielder and runner, uh, and to do that on that stage was really, really neat. Uh, Cole Tucker, we had him on the podcast. You know, we say that a lot, which I, I'm actually pretty proud of. Guys yeah, make their debut cool. and you're like, oh yeah, no, we've had him on before. Um, but he called in from Italy to be on this podcast, which was nuts to me. Cause I was like, <laughs> do you have 10, 15 minutes? He's like, yeah, I'm good now. I'm like, oh great, where are you in your off season? On vacation in Italy. Uh, just speaks to the type of guy he is. And, you know, we don't root for players or anything like that, but it, it is just neat to see them get their chance and, and to see him run with it in the way he has. Um, so the Pirates are kind of in a weird state right now and, and trying to figure out who they're going to be. Um, but if Cole Tucker can kind of solidify himself at shortstop, uh, that team's going to be a lot of fun to watch for a couple months here. And one foul ball, which is some bummer news out of the International League today. Uh, Bo Bichette, the 10th overall prospect in all of baseball and the second-ranked prospect in the Blue Jays system, has been diagnosed with a broken left hand, according to a report from Robert Murray and Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. Uh, he was hit by a pitch yesterday. Uh, again, we're recording this on uh, on Tuesday making his uh, second plate appearance of uh, Buffalo's game at Syracuse, uh, clanked by uh, a pitch to the left hand and then kind of fell to the ground and walked off, was replaced by a pinch hitter. This is a bummer. And Blue Jays fans, this week there's a report from over the weekend from a, a journalist in the Dominican Republic that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was going to be called up today. Uh, he was going to be in the lineup as the, the Blue Jays took on the Giants. And then yesterday it seemed like those reports were kind of being uh, poo-pooed by people in uh, areas of knowledge with the Blue Jays organization. Um, he's not up. Uh, we don't know when Vlad will be coming up, but now Bo Bichette is hurt. So it's kind of a, a two for punching the gut for Blue Jays fans over the last couple of days, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And the reason why we made the Bichette thing a, a foul ball, even though it would normally be kind of lead news for this podcast, is because the timing of it. He is seeking a second opinion. Uh, watch the video. We have it up with the story on, on the site. Um, he does get hit. The umpire called it a foul ball, which is weird because you can hear it hit him and he clearly goes down and it didn't hit any part of the bat. But anyway, uh, didn't we talk about this recently? Wasn't there another injury that we talked about this where a, a player was hit? Uh, Joey Bart, Joey Bart's was the same way. Oh, they thought it was a foul ball. This was ruled a foul ball. Also. Oh, that's so weird. <laughs> Very. They have some tough anyway. bones. I guess these top prospects, I guess. Yeah, if it sounds like it's ball hitting wood, uh, when it's actually hitting bone, <sighs> But yeah. when he, he like goes down and he puts his gloves back on as if like he's going to bat and the trainer takes him out and be like, no, that's not a good idea. And he starts to almost like argue with the umpire that like, oh, that wasn't a foul ball. It hit me in the hand. And then like the pain comes back to him and he jumps back down. Uh, it, it's a showing a little bit of Bo Bichette's personality that his second or his first thought is how this really hurts. The second thought is, hey, that wasn't a foul ball. Uh, and I want to finish out this at bat. Um, so we'll wait on the second opinion. Uh, for, it sounds like initial tests are, are broken hand and that can take a while to come back to, especially with the left one. That's going to be, you know, the, a, he's got to grip a bat again, but he also has to use that for his glove. Um, how many months is that going to be out? And on the Vlad jr. Thing, uh, the Jays have all kind of said in the last couple of weeks that they want him playing consistently at Buffalo. Uh, they want him playing three games in a row, at least coming off that oblique injury. And Buffalo was scheduled to play last weekend. Uh, games, Their game on Friday, I think, got postponed. And then they were supposed to have a doubleheader on Saturday, and that got postponed. So it's been a couple of days since Vlad Jr. had played. He played Monday night 
Uh, looks like he's going to play Tuesday night. And then if he plays Wednesday night, okay, now we're looking at a, a uh, call-up could be in order back half of the week. Um, keep an eye on that. Hopefully that news doesn't break by the time the podcast is up uh, and, and be the Will Benson of this week. Uh, but, you know, as disappointing as we all th- – or as excited as we all got for the idea that Vlad Jr. would be up on Tuesday, it's not the case. Uh, they still want him to go through his progression. And once he does that – it sounds like he'll be up in short order. So that will probably be strike one for next week. And that'll do it for this week's edition of Three Strikes. Coming up, we are going to head to the Boston Red Sox organization, and that is where we find the newly minted 22nd-ranked prospect in that system, Marcus Wilson, acquired from the Arizona Diamondbacks this month. Marcus Wilson joins the show next. We're joined this week with the newest prospect in the Red Sox system, the number 22 uh, prospect in the Boston system, Marcus Wilson, uh, calling in from the Double A Portland Sea Dogs. Marcus, it's been a hectic week for you, but how are you doing? How are how are things settling in in the, the new spot with the Sea Dogs? No, it's going good. You know, meeting new teammates and all the front front office personnel. You know, but it's uh it's all good over here. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's kind of walk us through that. Uh, I feel like everybody's got a trade story. Uh, you, of course, coming over from the Arizona Diamondbacks and a trade for Blake Swihart. Uh, interestingly, you hit your first two homers of the year. You homer back-to-back for Double A Jackson in the Arizona system. Then you find out you're traded. Walk us through that whole process. Uh, well, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy getting traded because you see it all the all around you you know it's part of the game but until it happens to you like you kind of don't know what to do or what to feel or what to expect but now it's a it's a good process so um what what was it saturday or friday or saturday i got um oh i didn't get a call i'm sorry um i got late scratch from the game and it was about what about an hour before the game, and I was one. I was like, okay, that was weird. <laughs> and then, sure enough, like like twenty minutes later, it was we were a little behind on delay, so they called me in the office and they told me I was I was um, traded for Swihart, and you know, just a lot of emotions going on. You know, been with the D backs five years, created a lot of good relationships with different people, and you know, it was it was just it was weird, you know. But, um, you know, it was cool. Stay for the game. And then we went to Birmingham, flew out that next morning, came here Saturday around 3 o'clock. Their game was already canceled. So spent the next two days because the next day was Easter and they had it off. And then on Monday, reported normal time, like 12 o'clock. And then, you know, meeting all the guys, you know, a lot of good guys in this clubhouse, man. So I'm glad I got a lot of nice guys around me and, you know, just ready to play some baseball. Yeah, and, and did you know anybody in the Red Sox system or did you have any contacts there initially or were you just coming in fully fresh? Um, I was just um, – I think – I know I knew Oscar Hernandez, so he was with the Diamondbacks too for a little bit. You know, met Oscar. And, you know, besides that, I didn't – I don't know anybody. I didn't know anybody in New York. So, so what did you know about the Red Sox system as a whole then? 
maybe not any individuals, but at least from the outside. And, you know, it's only been two days, like you said, that since you've been activated, but what are your initial impressions of the organization? Uh, first class, definitely. Um, you know, it's, it's not too much different. I feel like everybody's kind of the same in some sorts, but it's not too different. Um, what else is different? Definitely fan bases. A lot more fan base here than yeah. there was in Arizona. And, um, you know, guys are kind of the same, you know, a lot of good guys over in Arizona and same here, but not, not too much different. Yeah. And, and one of the things that stood out to me is after you were traded, just the outpouring of support from guys around you. I know John Duplantier sent a, a tweet out to, to, you know, Red Sox folks saying they got a good one and Jazz Chisholm seemed to get emotional about it. Uh, what was that core, you know, relationship that you developed in Arizona? What was that group of guys like and what was it like leaving them in that moment? In, in an- uh, it's, yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it's, it was tough, man, to be honest with you. Those are like my brothers, man. I, I came up with Chisholm since, he came in instructional ball in 2015, man. Took him under my wing. You know, I've known John for as long as he's been in the org. Went to Hillsboro together, and then Kane County, and we've always we've always been close. A lot of guys I've gotten close to in the org, you know, because I've been there for so long and seen a lot of people come and go, you know. But it 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 sucks to leave them, you know. But just like I said, they're like my brothers, man. So it, it baseball like. I mean, that was our job, but, like, it, it goes beyond that, definitely. Right, for sure. Yeah, no, that definitely came across with those guys. And, and when you were trying to process this, it, it's been at least a couple of days. It may take a little bit longer uh, to feel settled. Mm-hmm. But when you look at a trade like this, how do you kind of approach it? Because trades are always interesting. There's not something that really happens in any under industry. On one side, a team is acquiring you. They want you. They like you. They see something in you. On another side, you're being traded away from somewhere. How do you kind of look at the, a deal like this? I always try to – I mean, I wish I'd look at the positive in it. So the uh, the white uh, the Red Sox obviously wanted me, and you know I'm just trying to take all the positives. You know, I get a great opportunity here, like I did in Arizona. You know, you know I'm just I'm just thankful for the opportunity and just trying to just trying to go out there and do my job every day, like I know I can. Hmm. And when you had those initial conversations, I know you said you're getting to meet a whole bunch of new players and front office staff and stuff like that. What has been the, the message that's they've extended to you or what have they told you in these first couple of days of, that they liked about your game? Uh, not so much about my game. I haven't talked to anybody about that part of it, part of it yet, but definitely um, they're just, they're just saying, welcome, you know, you're in a good spot and opportunities here and, you know, just go get it. And I'm just going to do that. I just come every day and do my job and just get along with the guys. Looking forward to creating some good relationships here, too. And, and I know you talked about, uh, you know, what it was like 
having to watch the game and then fly out from Birmingham and all that. But what other logistics that a lot of people don't know about trades? I mean, when we were texting before, you said you were getting set up with a host family in Portland. Um, you know, it's mm-hmm. not like you were going from Jackson to Reno or Jackson to Visalia or something, well-worn paths. You're going to a whole new city, a whole new organization. What kind of background stuff have you had to do these last couple of days to get settled? Uh, I mean, not much, really. I mean, the team sets you up with the host family, so there's that. I just, just literally got in, like, 30 minutes ago and then you know trade trades it's 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 weird but it's not all that weird I mean it's it's only it's only bad because you gotta say goodbye to everybody I mean that's on your team at least in less than a couple hours you know and it's like you expected to be there all year and grind with them all year and then it kind of just gets cut. It gets cut short, very short. So you know, you say goodbye, Saints numbers, some guys always stay in touch, and then you're just off to a new team. And I got a couple guys um, that have been traded in the past uh, contact me, like one of my boys, um, Jason Martin and Jacob Nottingham, texting me. He was like, "Hey, I mean, it's happened to me. I mean, don't go in there." trying to be a new guy like a new tough guy just go in there be yourself and just yeah just be yourself really and then you know you'll make new relation new good relationships with different guys and you know you're just going to keep playing ball like you know you know you can so Hmm. it's not too different gotcha well kind of along those lines uh you know you you're entering this year at Double A for the first time, coming off uh, a season at Class A advanced Visalia last year. Uh, it seems like you broke out a little bit in 2017, hitting 295 with an 829 OPS, and things kind of stepped back a little bit last year uh, in the Cal League. What were you able to take away from last year, and what were you working on in the off season potentially for you know this trip to Double A for the first time? Uh, everybody tells me this is the biggest jump. And I mean, I think it is definitely, definitely challenging. But you know, I like I like a good challenge. I'm I'm never gonna back away from it. And definitely from last year, from the struggles, uh, just don't dread them. You know, don't go up there and just like you know, don't don't go up there thinking about failure or anything. Just go there. Play your game, have fun. That's that's one of my biggest ones this year. Is just have fun. Don't don't let the game bring you down. And that because that's what kind of happened last year. Taking it too serious and you know changing stuff. And so now I'm just gonna go out there and just have fun. Just leave it all on the field. Mm-hmm. Definitely because now I know because that's that's where people go bad is is when you start thinking about it and letting it affect not only on the field, but off the field too. So, Right. How, how did that kind of manifest itself? If you don't itself? do that, it'll be fine. Hmm? How, did, how did that kind of manifest itself when you're talking about getting too worried about things and letting that affect your on, yourself on the play? Where did you feel like you were doing to kind of force things as the season, season went on? Oh, trying anything and everything, you know, trying to get out of it, and that never works. Uh, bad thoughts. Just, just like usual stuff when you struggle, really. But 
just can't let that affect you. That's that's where people that struggle all year. That's that's what happens. That's that's the it's not the big secret, but that's really what happens. Because I remember in 2017, I I didn't think about anything. I was just going out there having fun and playing the game, and you know, stats are going to take care of themselves. So, hmm. and uh, well, I I know. Uh, you know, taking care of itself. But one of the stats that kind of stood out to me, we talked about you went homer to back-to-back games there in your last two games with the Generals. You had five extra base hits. You know, eight of your first hits were, were for – or eight, five of your first eight hits were for extra bases. seemed like you were putting in a little bit more power. Is that a part of your game you're trying to develop, or do you feel like that's just developing naturally over a short sample right now? Um. I mean, I think I think it's always been there. Just, I mean, yeah, it's kind of developing too at the same time. But I, I kind of know myself as a player right now. I have this, I have some swing and miss, but it also comes with some damage. So I'm just trying to get balls to hit and, you know, just, just attacking early and, you know, not missing my pitches. And uh, one of the things that. Uh, happens when you move to a new organization, move into a new situation. And with the Red Sox system, uh, obviously they have a really good outfield at the major league level right now. Uh, you know, what is it like moving into that and trying to find your way into that? How much do you kind of study the major league organization? How much did you do that in Arizona and how much do you do that now in Boston? In Arizona, um, it always, I mean, it didn't always change because we always had Peralta and, now we have Dyson. They had Dyson and Jones over there. I mean, they definitely, the D-backs always took defense seriously, so I did too. You know, that's always the thing that I'm going to try to always get better at. And you're definitely, you know, best, I could arguably the best outfield in the game, but you can't really pay attention to all that. You kind of just always just focus on what you're doing, and that's, that's my approach at it. Hmm. You know, I'm just going to take it day by day and, just get better every day down here. And uh, one of the cool things about being in the Red Sox system is they, at least at some of the levels there, they try to make it a similar experience to being in the majors at Fenway Park, Hadlock Field. You've played there two games now, got to experience mm-hmm. it a little bit. Part of that is the big left wall and left it yeah. in uh, Portland as a right-handed hitter. How much are you aiming for that and trying to take advantage or in BP or have that translate into games here early on. No, it's definitely interesting though. The green monster. I wasn't expecting that. Definitely. <laughs> but uh, when I saw it, it was kind of cool, you know, cause in the future, you know, that's where you're going to be playing. And, you know, saw that I don't really aim for it too much. Cause I, that's not really my power zone. I guess you can call it. I'll pull balls, but I won't pull a lot of homers. Definitely more right center guy. Hmm. Fair enough. Um, all right, so I want to jump back even further. Uh, in 2014, mm-hmm. you were a collective balance round pick. Um, but not only that, you, you were coming out of uh, the Urban Youth Academy as well. I think you were the highest pick in 2014 to come out of the Urban Youth Academy. What was your experience like in that system, and how did that kind of get you ready for pro ball and, and the whole draft process? Yeah, definitely. It's like my second home, you know. Always would go there, 
get my work in after school and you know they done a they done a lot for me done a lot for me and they got me i mean carl nichols down there kenny landro you know i have a lot of knowledge that they passed on to me and you know others too like dominic smith and jeffy crawford but you know we all grew up together and um, grinded together through high school and all that, but now it's it's fun seeing all of us, you know, at the top of the org- organizations. You know, it's kind of kind of neat, you know, looking how far we came. Yeah, and what what's some lesson that you learned then that you still find yourself leaning on now? Uh, you know, Kenny always talked about approach, and it's it's kind of I've always kind of had that same approach coming into pro ball. And, you know, we, we, we always preach approach, always preach approach because when people get into mechanics too much, I mean, it's it's starting to become very mechanical now, but when you think about the mechanics too much, it will never go right. So we always think approach. Hmm. And one game I want to take you back to in particular, uh, part of my research came up was you, got, you and Dom Smith, uh, obviously now with the Mets, first baseman, uh, you guys led Sarah High School to its first CIF baseball title uh, back in 2013 yeah. at Dodger Stadium. You actually homered, mm-hmm. and this there's a quote in this story that I'm reading that you know you said hitting a home run at Dodger Stadium is a trip. It's just unbelievable. I'm I'm at a loss for words. Uh, take me through that game and what that team was like. Having two prominent prospects on any high school team is nuts, but. Uh, how special was that team, and what was that game like in particular, playing in Major League Stadium like that? Definitely, that was the best group of guys I ever played with. Man, we're we're still. I think everybody on that team still stays in touch. Um, you know, it, it was it's it, it was awesome playing with those guys for what four years, man. You know, it was it's because we grew up. We grew up. We all kind of grew up playing together, and then. I transferred over in my junior year and, you know, it was, it, it was the best time of my life, man, you know, and then playing at Dodger stadium and hit a home run there. That was, so like I said, man, it was, a, I was at a loss for words. I still don't really have words to put it, man, because you know, you grew, you grew up, you grew up watching the Dodgers and the angels play and all that, but Dodger stadium is like, like 20 minutes away from me. So hitting a home run there was very special. Very special feeling. I wish everybody can feel that. Hmm. Did, have you had a chance to play in a major league stadium since, either going through the draft process or like taking BP in Arizona, anything like that? Yeah, we played a couple of exhibition games at Chase and then Wrigley for the Under Armour game. Hmm. And then where else? Petco for, for um, the other one. Um, perfect game. Those are all. It's it's fun playing in Major League Stadium. There's definitely it's it's nothing like it. Dom, Dominic always we always spend the off season together, and he always tells me, man, there's nothing like playing in the big league. So you know, always just striving to get there. Mm. Yeah, and, and according to the story, Smith was the pitcher in that game. I don't think anybody <laughs> yeah. really envisions him as a pitcher now. What was your scouting report no. on him uh, back in the day? Oh man, he was, I think he threw hard. If I'm not mistaken, I think he was like ninety three, ninety five. I'm surprised people didn't really look at him as pitching because he was so good at hitting. But I mean, he was he was good. I got him though. 
He's in my book. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that the story you still there. still tell everyone now? Is you oh, off a major everybody, man. No, yeah, no, I doubled. He's not in the book, but, okay. but I got right. like one or two at bats off him. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I got him and struck him out too. I let him know that one all the time. <laughs> so, what were you like as a pitcher then? <laughs> oh man, I was just throwing the baseball. Man, I wasn't really a pitcher. <laughs> I was, I was always a hitter. There you go. Fair enough. Could, well, it's worked pitch. out pretty good so far. Uh, yeah, right. And when you have those conversations with those guys, you also mentioned J.P. Crawford, you know, somebody mm-hmm. who got through the youth academy as well. Um, you know what? What have they told you about the major leagues and, and what to expect when you get there? Because it is so eye opening. It's one of those things you can't really prepare for until you're there. But at least you can have somebody ex- describe it to you. So, what do you hear about the major leagues from mm-hmm. some of the guys who have been there before you? Literally, because like two of my friends, two of my close friends, made their debut this year. I mean, Dominic Smith, obviously, he always tells us show stories and they're they're unbelievable but he said it's everything you dream of and more you know he's like you can't really put in the words but it's it's the best thing it's the best thing ever that's what they always tell me so you know i'm just kind of just ready to see it for myself you know right right so well now you're potentially preparing to uh if that's going to happen it would happen with boston so you're an la guy how much do you yes, really sir. know about Boston as a city? No idea. <laughs> <laughs> I've never paid attention to really the Boston Yankees. I mean, obviously, I know the know about the rivalry, but I never, never really paid attention to them like that. Always, always an OS guy. So okay, Dodgers, D-backs, what? Who else? Um, Rockies and San Diego. We always paid attention to that because I mean that was that was us. But but yeah, no. But it's definitely it's definitely interesting though. Yeah. So all the history here. They're telling me all about the history and Fenway and all that stuff. You know, the fans and East Coast is pretty nice. Right. I was gonna say you're you're in Maine now, which I imagine that's probably your first <laughs> time in Maine. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so what has stood out about that? Have you had like a lobster roll yet, or at least something to to feel at home in New England? I wish, but no, not yet. Um, I've really just been locked in this hotel for a while. Fair enough. Yeah. But um, I'm trying to I'm trying to get out there. I heard the seafood's great out here. Been a Cracker Barrel though. That was about it. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, you got to get out somewhere other than Cracker Barrel. As, I got to go get. I, like I got to get seafood though. I heard it's 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 known for seafood, so oh yeah, definitely. I heard the summers are nice here, so looking forward to seeing that. Fair enough. All right, we'll we'll leave you on this one, Marcus. Uh, you are mm-hmm. introducing yourself to a new fan base, a new organization. Uh, you know, in the weeks, months to come, as Red Sox fans and, and Red Sox brass get to know you better, what do you hope to show them? What do you, how do you hope to kind of introduce yourself here to an entire new organization and everybody that follows it? Uh, you know, in the the next few games and, and like I said, weeks and months? You know, I'm just going to come out here and play every day. My name is Marcus Wilson. You know, I'm not going to put on a facade for anybody. You know, I'm going to play hard and play to my best of my ability. No excuses. Just I'm just going to get the job done. 
All right, fair enough. That that's a pretty. I'm gonna have fun point. doing it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, Marcus Wilson, like we said, newest prospect in the Boston Red Sox system, about to introduce himself to one of the bigger fan bases in, in the sport. Uh, Marcus, thanks so much for joining us. Good luck in your first couple of days with Portland. Get some seafood for crying out loud. Go get yourself a lobster roll. Yeah, and, I will. Uh, yeah, Thank thanks so much for, for joining me. us. No, thanks for having me, Sam. Appreciate it. As road trip number one approaches for uh, one Benjamin Hill, we already have details on road trip number two, and Ben joins us to uh, to discuss all of it. Hi, Ben. <laughs> hello, Tyler, and hello, Sam. It, it felt like you got a, a little ahead of yourself there. <laughs> You've got uh, there's so much content out that I, you know, we can't even we can't even wait to discuss. Last week we talked about the the first trip of the season through North Carolina and Virginia, um, and road trip number two is already out. The itinerary through Texas and New Mexico, June twelfth to the eighteenth. You're going to get a chance to see uh, Hodge Town, the new uh, ballpark, the home of the Amarillo Sod Poodles, which looks like an awesome park, and then El Paso uh, and Albuquerque. Not in that order. It's actually Amarillo, then Albuquerque, then El Paso. But uh, a couple of places that you've seen before, but not for a little while, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like like the first trip I announced, uh, you know, was motivated by a new ballpark in Fayetteville, and I'll be embarking on that uh, uh, May 1st, a week from today. And the second trip is, you know, perhaps not surprisingly, motivated by a new ballpark, and that's uh, Amarillo, as you mentioned. And, um, you know, also, like I said last week, I'm you know, I'm, I'm spending about the same amount of time on the road, but, uh, not as much, uh, not as many locations trying to settle in a little bit. So when I was looking at the map and uh, looking at Amarillo, I was kind of seeing which direction I could go while also, you know, not making it too many teams. And, um, the more I thought about it, I thought, you know what, it's been five years since I've been to El Paso and Albuquerque, both. Um, I went there in, you know, early in the season in 2014, started in Albuquerque and then went to what was the second home game in El Paso Chihuahua's history back in 2014. Uh, if you recall, the ballpark uh, opened a little bit late. So this was like in late April by that point. But anyhow, it's been five years. So I'm excited to go back to uh, both those places, uh, Albuquerque and El Paso, um, see what's changed in the last five years, spend a little more time, uh, hopefully have some fun. But it's going to start in Amarillo, home of the Sod Poodles. Um, and I'm really excited about that because the Texas, you know, panhandle and Amarillo proper are, is just um, a city and, and a part of the country I'm not too familiar with. So I think of the three new ballparks this season, um, the one I'm most excited to visit is uh, Hodge Town in Amarillo. And a lot of it does have to do with just the, the location of the team itself. Yeah. And when you go to these parts for the first time, uh, what was normally your checklist and how do you feel like that's going to change now in this new format instead of? You used to have to run around and try to see as much of a brand new place for the first time. Now you have three days to kind of take it in. So what is your kind of checklist for whenever you see a new ballpark and what are you, how are you going to spread that over three days here? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it will be the same, but, you know, just with a little uh, – hopefully – I, I I hate to use the term relaxed because I just know my mind and I know I will never be relaxed on these road trips. Even if I could be, I won't be. I'm working on it. Um, but, yeah, it allows me to slow it down a little, um, allows me to – you know, if I take a lot of pictures and get a lot of quotes one day, then maybe to come in the next day and do more of a video element. 
and, um, you know, do that sort of thing to, you know, follow up on stories or ideas the next day, as opposed to being like in another city being like, ah, you know, it would have been cool if I had done this, you know? So a lot of it is just slowing it down and immersing myself and not feeling that kind of manic need to get onto the next place because minor league baseball, uh, can be, uh, tough to deal with sometimes as you guys know, and anyone in minor league baseball knows no matter what your specific role, um, it can just be hard to keep track of and hard to keep track of everything. And you always feel like you're missing something. So the point here is yes, I'm missing something by not going to as many teams, but uh, I think with more time I can, I can settle in. So, um, it's going to be a work in progress. This is kind of a season of transition to me for me a little bit, uh, having been to every ballpark last year or finally having hit that milestone. And, you know, we'll just see where it goes from there and, uh, you know, hitting the road on May 1st. And I think after that trip, I'll have a better idea, obviously, of what I'll be doing once, uh, in June, I go down to Hodgetown and, uh, from there to Isotopes Park and uh, Southwest University Field. Uh, I'm really happy with this trifecta, this triumvirate of uh, teams I'm visiting in June. Ben, what's the thing when you go to see ballparks that you've seen before but you haven't seen for a little while, what are the things that you're most interested in, um, You know, whether it's ballpark additions or just kind of – I would think it's probably pretty cool, especially in the case of El Paso, to see sort of how a team has settled into its home. But what do you like seeing most uh, when it's been a little while between visits? Well, one, I hope – you know, for a, especially in the, in the old ways I was doing trips, um, it, it could just be tough in that, you know, I might just be somewhere on a dead Tuesday and, you know, and that was always the joke I made that the, the number one thing I hear from team executives across the country is you should have been here yesterday. Um, so this, when I go to a place again, and a lot of times I'm motivated by the desire to hopefully visit the team in a better circumstance, um, you know, hope for good weather again with two or three days in a ballpark. It's a little bit of an insurance policy. So a lot of it is just hoping to improve on what might not what might have not been a optimal experience the first time. And also seeing what's changed. Um, like you mentioned, Tyler, like when I was in. Uh, El Paso in 2014, the whole angle, of course, was like, there's this new ballpark and this is this is what it is. And it's new, 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 new. Now it's going to be this is five years in and really getting a sense of how the team operates, see where the fan how the fan base is now that it's not the newest thing in town. Um, you know, one angle I'm really intrigued with in El Paso that I hope to explore more this time is, you know, the proximity to Mexico. It's literally on the border. The ballpark is essentially on the, the U.S.-Mexico border. And the team has game day employees and markets to Mexican fans. And that's something I want to explore more is uh, getting to know some of the people who work at the ballpark, who live in Mexico, some of the fans um, you know, who actually come over from Juarez to see a game in, in the U.S., uh, how the team markets to them. Uh, that's definitely something I'm looking forward to, to doing. And I was so impressed by the food in El Paso last time uh, that I'm really looking forward to whoever that designated eater is. And you can, you know, read this uh, read this blog post uh, or it's an article now. Yeah, but article, <laughs> read yeah. this uh, article announcement uh, and there's information about how to be a designated eater. Uh, MILB.com slash fans slash Ben's Biz. You can get all the information there. But if you want to be a designated eater in Amarillo, Albuquerque, El Paso, uh, hook, you know, get in touch. And, um, and yeah, you know, when I was in Albuquerque last time, it was like a kind of cold Monday or Tuesday. So now I'm going to be there on a weekend in June. So I think a lot of it is just kind of uh, – you know, I don't want to say doing right by the teams because I don't think I'm ever doing them wrong. But I think, you know, experiencing a team with 
with nice weather and, uh, you know, in the summer really does have a different energy. And I sort of like sometimes the dead energy because the weird that creates more weird nights sometimes when the only people around are the weirdos. And I like the weirdos, not the only people, but, you know, there's a lot more weirdos in the ballpark uh, when it's like a Tuesday night and it's wet, the weather's cold. So I kind of like the weird nights, but there's something to be said too, for just, uh, hopefully being able to tap into a, you know, a team's energy when it's, you know, really, uh, peak peak baseball season and uh and when i'm in el paso on june 18th it's going to be a copa game copa de la diversion 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 copa de la diversion uh so el paso chihuahuas are going to be playing as the margaritas that day and they so. didn't change names last year right they were they still, didn't they, they were, were still the el paso they were Chihuahua. a copa team who were like hey well this name's Spanish, basically, anyway. So, uh, but I think they learned from that, and this now they have a standalone identity. And El Paso is, you know, allegedly the birthplace of the margarita. Maybe that's something I can investigate when I'm in El Paso. <laughs> something tells me you won't have a trouble investigating the margaritas night. Yeah, I'm gonna go on a margarita. I'm gonna go on El Paso's margarita trail and uh, see what it leads to. Ben, the um, the trip is your second of the season, and uh, you'll be headed to North Carolina and Virginia before that. Um, one of the, the interesting promo nights that is coming up on the calendar, one of the other large topics of your coverage on MILB.com, is one that uh, kind of came out of a, a joke that was taken as not a joke, and then it turned into not a joke, and, uh, and here we find ourselves. The Omaha Storm Chasers kind of put themselves through the looking glass with uh, an April Fool's tweet that uh, noted Twitter – person darren rovell uh took as being serious on april 1st they said uh this season on june 31st we'll be playing as the omaha potholes uh the city of omaha state of nebraska had an insane and really kind of awful in a lot of ways uh fall and winter and omaha manifested itself in just atrocious potholes like all over the place there were horrible potholes so the storm chasers did this as a joke darren rovell thought it was true which on april 1st how you can be so logged on to the internet and think that anything is true is kind of surprising but omaha took that and ran with it they're making it a real thing they said in the tweet that it would be on june 31st which probably should have keyed you in that it was not real uh now they're going to be doing it on april 24th so this is coming up we're recording this on the 23rd so this is coming up tomorrow um and this looks like it's going to be a big deal for omaha which is really cool yeah, on a Wednesday in April, no less, which is not exactly a promo powerhouse type of date. Um, you know, in, in my promo coverage, I've been doing this a long time, so I'm always looking for a new angle, and sometimes it can be hard to find. Um, but the whole way this one played out, as you described, Tyler, you know, it was really unprecedented to uh, take what was truly – it wasn't like the team had some ulterior motive and they would, they knew it was going to become real. They really just thought this was a joke. And if you look at the uh, hat and jerseys, I mean, it looks like, you know, something that was made the logos look like they were made in minutes because they they essentially were it's just this car literally falling into a pothole um but yeah they got a much better reaction on social media than they thought i think they were getting a better reaction before darren rovell tweeted about it but i think rovell getting faked out uh put it over the top and the storm chasers have great uh social media team who really know how to to use the medium so they really capitalized on it got a ton of attention and um you know it's funny talking to marty cordero cordero the uh, president of the storm chasers you know he was saying like on the afternoon of april 1st you know they were having a staff meeting saying should we do this and <laughs> and you know and then uh that day the day of the tweet 
yeah, on April Fool's Day, they were having a serious meeting saying like, hey, how can we do this? Like it's getting way more attention than we thought and people really seem to be responding. Um, and so they just wanted to capitalize it and get the energy. And it's a little detail in the story, but I think it shows how teams think. They wanted to capitalize on the energy of this joke and make it a reality. But the next day, the University of Nebraska was hiring, was announcing their new basketball coach or having a press conference. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just kind of funny. That's not like a national news story. But if you're in, you know, especially if you live in Omaha, that's that's big news. And it's just funny how teams are always making these calculations like, ah, well, we can't do it tomorrow, April 2nd, because too much of the sports media is going to be consumed by uh, Hoiberg, Fred Hoiberg being elected as the basketball coach. But April 3rd, bam. Hey, guess what? This is real and they're doing it. Um, you know, with the turnaround, it's not like they don't have like the fitted caps, the 5950s. They don't have on-field uniforms. So they're not technically playing as the potholes, but the uh, t- the players and coaches will wear potholes jerseys during batting practice. Uh, those will be auctioned off later. Uh, potholes merchandise is for sale now. And of course, it'll be for sale at the ballpark. Um, and that's interesting, again, with promotions when – I think, you know, the average person just like, ah, oh, that's funny. It's potholes night. But, you know, when you're a team, you have to think about every aspect of your front office organization and how you can, you know, is there a community relations aspect? Is there a merchandise aspect? Is there a sponsorship aspect? Is there a concessions aspect? Uh, so they, they really quickly thought about it and found some things. And one of the things they're doing is they reached out to, you know, to 14 local municipalities and, um, invited the road workers to the ballpark, you know, for free and to recognize them at the game. And I think that also is good, you know, because potholes, you know, there's a lot of frustration with potholes uh, around the country, but especially in Omaha after the uh, fall and winter they had and a lot of flooding. Um, But, you know, I think when you're trying to be civic minded and you're trying to be in good graces with city government and something like that, um, you know, Calling yourselves the Omaha Potholes seems like you're kind of taking a dig at, uh, uh, you know, at city, uh, yeah, at city services, uh, you know, at, or at, at what the municipality is doing, their road work, you know, their ability to fix problems. And I think, you know, inviting the road workers out to the ballpark and saying like, we're here to recognize the hard work you're doing under trying circumstances in the wake of a very tough time, you know, I think is very good uh, PR wise for them. So it doesn't just seem like they're being snarky and making fun. Um, they are making fun a little, of course. But um, but they're also you know trying to recognize the people who are out there every day fixing these potholes. So and then there's the money you of know, concessions. They're, they are yeah, free Krispy Kreme spare tire is a fantastic. Yeah, I didn't even get it at first. So the first 1,000 fans received Krispy <laughs> Kreme quote spare tire, and I was googling Krispy Kreme spare tire, thinking it was some special donut that Krispy Kreme sold. But then I realized, oh, like your spare tire. Like you might need your spare tire because you busted it while driving over a pothole. Right. And then a, another term for a spare tire is a donut. Yes. And they're giving away Krispy Kreme spare tires, also, i.e. Also, if you eat donuts. any of them, you might get a spare tire. Yeah, and that was another thing I thought. I thought it was like a yeah body reference. I didn't get it. Uh, but if you do want a spare tire in that regard – then uh, get some Rocky Road ice cream, which apparently they're giving shovels to use as spoons. Not sure how that's going to work, <laughs> but um, if you ever want to eat, and that's a good type, Rocky Road ice cream on pothole night. I know, yeah, it is really good. There are more puns to be made here than I would have thought. Yeah, and sometimes I think, can I just be a consultant? I've written about this so many times. I'm, uh, you know, good with puns and wordplay. I feel like I could just be a consultant on hire to help teams like flesh out the promotions with that sort of thing. So perhaps a new career path for me down the line. I can just have team be on call for teams for uh, 
pun oriented uh, promotion editions. That feels like a, a fun podcast we could do maybe in the off season or something like that. Just have an entire brainstorming session with us. Like I, I, there's one podcast I, w- I wish I could remember the name of it, but they basically write an entire script, be like idea to end in a podcast. I feel like we could do that with a promo. Like well, three of us. not to get too ambitious here, but if we pitch this idea, we could get a team on board and flesh it out throughout the off season and then go stage it. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying invite us we, for once. Yeah, we, we have that kind of clout. I'm positive. So, you know, dare to dream. I'm still always very surprised when I talk to somebody in minor league baseball who's like, oh, I listen to the podcast every week. I'm like, really? You listen to, you listen to our show? That's kind of cool. Uh, I'm, the same way. I'm the same way. People meet me at a ballpark and they're like, I love your stuff. I'm like, no, you don't. No one loves it. No one loves me. <laughs> Nobody reads my thing. Nobody reads How much did here. my mom pay you? Yeah, my whole existence. This has all been a mistake. Don't you see? <laughs> but then I realize, hey, no. I'm good, and this is my job, and I'm good at my job. And then I feel good for a second. Thank you to everyone who says nice things to me. I need it sometimes. Um, anyway. By the way, Ben is uh, – for the, the road trips, um, Ben is recruiting designated eaters uh, for most locations. You can email him, benjamin.hill at mlb.com, with the subject line designated eater uh, and explain your reasons why you'd be a good one um for this trip this upcoming trip that we talked about a moment ago uh may 31st is the deadline for the designated eater application so i wanted to make sure we got that out there before uh we completely moved on from the uh, the road trip conversation so uh do it get your applications in what's the most creative one you've gotten oh i've gotten some good ones you know I, I, off the top of my head i'm not sure but you know when i announce my road trips and i say if you want to be designated eater send me the email and i jokingly say like just you know in 50 to 500,000 words just tell me why you want to do it um and the reason i do that is because when i first started doing designated eaters i said first come first serve and that didn't seem fair someone just might happen to be on twitter and then they just quickly say hey i'll do it and then that was it so it allows me to kind of sift through a little bit and uh, make sure these people have enthusiasm and personality but what is really heartening is that people sometimes they might not have an outlet to write down why they feel so connected to minor league baseball and a lot of the time the designated eater you know applications such as they are are really long and heartfelt like messages just about who this person are is why they love baseball maybe why they found you know some meaning in my work and whether i'm able to pick everyone i can't pick everybody but those that communication really means a lot to me and i really do like that the designated eaters have been a vehicle for uh, i think pretty meaningful like one-on-one communication between me and and you whoever you may be listening uh, get in touch benjamin.hill at mlb.com if you want to be a designated eater but also just to get in touch I answer emails and I really like corresponding with people and it really uh, makes me feel good about the work I do. And I really do appreciate everyone who reads and listens and, uh, you know, I'm just feeling a little heartfelt right now. It's all, it's all from the bottom of, uh, of Ben's deep and, uh, and emotional heart today. Something. It I really is. I to come up with something more poignant than that and I couldn't. No, it is a deep and emotional heart. I'm sensitive and empathetic and, uh, you know, ready to be vulnerable and see what comes out of my life from just really being open to all possibilities. What, uh, what else is coming up? Um, we talked about how the blog is, uh, is kind of on the way out. Uh, so there's going to be a bunch more on the site. What else you got going on? Yeah, that's about it. I have a new batting around coming up later this week. Uh, just talking about, you know, ballpark news and developments, new stadiums that we're looking for in 2020 and 2021 and that sort of thing. Potential new ballparks, you know, scuttlebutt, as I like to call it. So that's coming up. Um, I'll probably, even though I personally might not be the biggest Star Wars fan, I'll probably do a uh, promo preview column, just kind of round it up some of the best uh, May the 4th nights and uh, that kind of thing. And uh 
Yeah, finishing up my final blog post right now, just kind of putting a bow on the blog. Um, I don't think people even realize when they're reading MILB.com that it's not the blog. I think people just associate the blog with me and whatever my, has my name on it. They're just like, ah, the blog. But technically, bensbiz.moblogs.com is on the way out. And uh, that's kind of significant for me because that's kind of the vehicle for my whole career accidentally. But hey, one thing at a time. What do I have coming up? You know, some more columns, some more stuff on minor league baseball. It's all coming to the site. You can find Ben on Twitter. He's at Ben's Biz. Uh, and the email address, again, Benjamin.Hill at MLB.com if you are going to be in one of those spots where Ben will need a designated eater. Uh, here's a question. Are you going to get a designated eater for each night? Did you already say that? Did I miss that? No, I'm just going to choose just one. Okay, say just date, one per series. Date negotiable, but one per series. Um yeah, it'd be a little overkill if I had say, three separate articles about three separate people eating kind of the same things. Um, be very yeah, competing reviews. Yeah, competing. Um, <laughs> but that said, if anyone's listening and they just have something really interesting that they eat in a minor league game, you know, deputize yourself as a designated eater. Tag me in a tweet, and we'll you know we'll get it out there. And uh, that's something I've been meaning to do. So do it. So much I've been meaning to do. Do it. Get in touch with Ben. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Tyler, and. Uh, Thank you, Sam Dykstra, sitting to my left in conference room 4L at the Chelsea Market, 75 9th Avenue. <laughs> Final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show, MILB.TV is your home for uh, all the best and brightest in minor league baseball. You can get your subscription now for the 2019 season and uh, check out some of what's going on across the minor league. Sam, what are you watching on uh, MILB TV? Yeah, so here's somebody who we should probably be talking about more, so we might as well be talking about him now. Uh, Jordan Alvarez, prospect in the Astros system, is having an absolutely phenomenal start to the year. Uh, He was the first minor league batter to 10 home runs this year. He's got 10 in 17 games with AAA Round Rock, hitting 339, 451, 915 in those 17 games. Uh, equal walks to strikeouts, doing all the sorts of things I love to see out of a hitter. Uh, he's always had power potential at 6'5", 225 pounds, uh, but is really starting to put it together now. He went deep eight times in 45 games with Fresno last year, has already exceeded that in his return to the PCL. Uh, And he's hitting absolute bombs. He hit one the other day in Memphis that nearly hit the apartment complex in center field. Uh, He hit one last weekend, I think it was, uh, or two weekends ago, um, that hit the scoreboard in right center in another park. Uh, He's hitting absolute moonshots. So you're always going to want to watch him. But the reason I I highlight uh, him at this point is because – I think on Friday he will be facing uh, Nick Neidert uh, with the New Orleans baby cakes. Yeah, on Friday. Uh, that's the way it's scheduled to go right now at 8.05 Eastern. Uh, Round Rock has some other interesting guys as well there. Kyle Tucker is still on the Round Rock roster. Miles Straw. Uh, Nick Neidert is a prospect in the Marlins system specifically. I think he's number four there. He's had a really rough go of it to begin with. Again, AAA dealing with a new ball for him, dealing with a new league. Uh, but he's got an 8.71 ERA and three starts. Going to have a heck of a time trying to figure it out against that express lineup. But if you're a Marlins fan, it's a good chance to see him get tested. If you're a an Astros fan, it's a good chance to see what Tucker and Alvarez can do against another uh, impressive starting pitcher. And if you're just a, a prospect fan, you're going to want to see how these two sides kind of battle it out. So that's my pick of the weekend. 
Mine is uh, also in the PCL. John Duplantier, who's a second-ranked prospect in the Arizona Diamondback system, has been really, really good. He's had uh, just a couple of minor league outings so far this season. He was obviously in Arizona to start the year. Uh, coming out of the bullpen, he has been put back into a starting role uh, with AAA Reno. So far, combined between his first two outings, five and two-thirds innings, no hits, no runs allowed. He has walked five in those five and two-thirds, but he's also struck out seven and uh, one of the most electric guys in the minor leagues and uh, got a chance to talk to him after his uh, his first outing. And it was just kind of cool hearing what it was like, um, you know, getting back to – being in a, a starting capacity coming out of his major league debut he hadn't relieved much i think only one relief appearance in his professional career uh before this season and um this is a, a totally different circumstance uh when you're doing it at a, in a major league bullpen and then all of a sudden you're back in triple a and you're starting again so it's kind of cool to hear he's such a cerebral guy and to hear kind of his um the mechanics behind you know getting out of that mentality of being thrown into the bullpen got to be ready to go at any time and then all of a sudden knowing what you need to work on to get back to the major leagues maybe do it as a starter you're back in that starting role you're trying to get yourself lengthened out to go deeper into games uh, just some really interesting stuff and you can kind of watch the next step in that uh, re-evolution of John Duplantier back to a starting role coming up on Thursday as he and the Reno Aces take on the Fresno Grizzlies. That game is uh, out in uh, is that out on? No, it's in Reno. Reno game, so um, you can check that out at MILB.TV as well. And that'll do it for this week's episode. For Sam Dykstra, I'm Tyler Mom. We'll talk to you next week. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.